Hi, everyone. I'm Claire Liu, and I'm the CEO of Renew Your Company. And today, I am honored to have someone who I admire, a good friend of mine. I have Desiree uh, Vargas Wrigley, who is the founder and CEO of Parachute, which is this amazing platform that helps anyone who has kids drop into any class that they want. And I think it's yeah a brilliant idea, and she's really built and grown the company. Before that was the founder and CEO of um, give forward. And something really cool that Desiree was also telling me about was they're actually now offering Parachute as a great work perk. So something you can actually give your employees uh, who are parents to help them, um, yeah, just really engage and feel connected with their kids. So anywho, Desiree, it is so amazing to have you here and to be able to ask you this one question about leadership. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to see you. Thanks. Okay. So you don't know the question in advance. So brace yourself. Here's what I'd like to ask. And here's what I've been asking CEOs and founders who I respect, which is what's one thing, or it could be several things you wish you would have learned earlier as a leader. Whew, that is a big question. I think <laughs> one of, um, early on someone gave me this advice, but I didn't know actually how to internalize it until later. So I'm going to start with, I'm going to make it a two-parter. But the first one was that uh, don't beat yourself up too much when things go wrong, but also don't take too much credit when things are going right. Um, because a lot of times there are things that are happening as a leader and as a company that are out of your control. And as much as you want to believe that you are driving everything, external forces really do have an impact. And great hires, of course, you know, make a positive terrible hires sometimes make an impact, but it's never, you know, at the end of the day, like, yes, you are the one holding the bag as CEO, but it's never all your fault or all your credit. And it probably sounds obvious, but I think in the early days, I really thought if I work harder or if I think smarter, I'll be able to solve this problem all the time. And sometimes there are really just outside factors and you have to learn how to navigate them and, and kind of remove ego from the scenario to be able to just really perform. That's one. And then comes um, into figuring out what kind of leader I wanted to be. And I think a first-time mm -hmm. founder mistake that a lot of us have, which is tied to my first part of the answer, is that you are so closely identified with the business that you're creating because it came out of your brain. It is literally like your brainchild and you are convincing people to come and work on it with you and convincing people to invest in it. And it is, you know, so closely tied to how you feel about yourself. And so the ups and downs can be, you know, have a really big impact, I think, on your mental state, but also on your quality of leadership. And that the more you can remove your sense of self-worth from the performance of the business, the better your business and your leadership will be. And you're able to see more clearly kind of where your baby is ugly or um, why certain things aren't working. And so just kind of having that level of self-knowledge and reflection and being able to separate yourself. One of the things that allows you to do well as a leader is that when people underperform, it's mm -hmm. not that they are kind of violating this promise to your baby, but it is instead an opportunity to coach them and help them grow into a better version of themselves, all for the kind of same North Star, as opposed to, you know, taking care of this child that you are giving them access to. Absolutely. I, uh, yeah. wow. I'm No, I... Uh... I can completely relate to uh, to that answer, having you know now started my third company, and I think 
Whew, it is a hard lesson to learn, Desiree. I think this idea that you separate your identity uh, from business. I mean, how, how do you do that, first of all? And second of all, or maybe I should actually ask the second part first, when did you learn that? Like, did something happen, uh, whether it was when you were starting and running Give Forward, uh, whether it was when you were starting and running Parachute, where you realized, huh, I think I'm equating my sense of self too closely to the business and it's actually having negative effects? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was a series of things that helped me fully, fully realize the separation. You know, bringing in a co-founder early on meant that I had to, of course, share the vision with someone else. But I think if I'm being honest with myself, it still always felt like mine and I was letting him in, um, yeah. which is not a great way. You know, we're still great friends and, and you know, we overcame, I think, the challenge in our partnership. But I, if I'm being really kind of just honest about how I, I treated things in the beginning, I think, you know, the, as you bring in senior team members, start to relinquish some of your ownership over that control. And so in a way you kind of give up a little bit of that identification, you know, teeny bits at a time. But truthfully for me, the when I decided to step away a CEO and bring in a new CEO, and it's not honestly something I would recommend to most people. It's a very challenging way to do that, um, to separate yourself. And there are much healthier ways through coaching and through maybe therapy, reading, I don't know, a combination of things. I ended up working with a, um, an executive coach for a while who really helped me make a lot of progress um, and understand kind of my role within the vision as opposed to being the creator of the vision. Um, and so I don't recommend getting any <laughs> as a way to do it. I think there's other ways. Um, but sometimes it does take something jarring like that to force yourself. And then there is a grieving process no matter how you do it because you are separating a piece of yourself. And it's not a divorce in, in any way or shape or form, but it is a um, retraining your brain to think about yourself and your value differently than you did before. And it's so liberating, honestly, you know, this time around with Parachute, yeah. I get to look at Parachute as something that is on its own. And I actually think it, truthfully being a mother has helped me do this that much more hmm. because I have yeah. you know, two boys that I've birthed and then a stepdaughter also. And my role as a parent is not to dictate who they become, right? But to help put them on this journey for success and to give them the foundation and the resources that they need to be their best selves. And that's true about a business too. And so, you know, the analogy does continue, um, but one that is less emotionally aggressive, I think, which is that mm. if you treat your company as this, this being that has its own life and its own um, identity and its own brand, right? And you create the resources and the support system around it's just such a, a much more relaxing place to live. I mean, you still want it to do well, well. You still need them to get into college. You still need all those things to happen, sure. but you're sure. not, it's, it's not the same as your own personal value. Absolutely. What then are you doing differently with Parachute in this approach? Is it a mindset? Is it um, in conversations you're having with your senior leadership team? Has it affected your hiring? Like curious Given that you've learned, okay, I can't be as emotionally aggressive. What do you What are you doing differently then with parachute to to sort of set those boundaries? Yeah, I'm doing so many things differently. Definitely hiring. Um, I hire a lot more for um, the kind of individual athlete role. I think, if I'm being honest with myself, before mm -hmm. I 
hired good people that I thought would be good at the job. Um, but this time I'm looking for efficiency and a lot of creativity and a, a strong level of autonomy because this time around, I just have so much more trust. Um, and you know, I sometimes feel sorry for some of my earlier team members because I just didn't know how to trust them with the vision this time around. Mm. I have that clear understanding. And so they can, people can achieve so much more, obviously, when you are willing to kind of give them that freedom to explore and make mistakes, of course, fail and recover from those failures and and wow you, right? So creating room for that within my team is really important to me. And because of that, you know, I often think we get more done with our eight or nine people than we did with our 40 that we had before, just because people are able to be really, really focused. I also am much better at clearing path towards creating like time blocks for people and making sure that they have enough time to do their work where in the past I think we really jammed you know meetings because there needed to be a lot of communication and you know I think if you're transparent and um and constantly doing a great job of reinforcing vision and the kind of ways you need to tack towards that that end goal that it's you don't need to do as much real-time collaboration because people have a clear idea of where we're all headed and it's more about checking in with each other each other and um, confirming priorities and then kind of getting back to work. Absolutely. I think um, so yeah. many, yeah, I, I mean, I think so, there's so many CEOs and founders who I talk with who struggle with this, right? Like you, you start the company, uh, you've been kind of killing yourself over it, and now someone else is going to start to do your, your, your job. And so being able to sort of release that and, and just be a lot more hands off, it takes a certain amount of discipline. But it sounds like that's really paid off and been the difference for you uh, between between the two companies. So that's yeah, that's amazing. For sure, and I, and I'm actually very practical with my team too. And you know, mm. a lot of the roles right now are jack of all trades, wearing many hats. And so I, you know, I remind them that our job is to build this company to be big enough that you kind of earn the right to either hire your boss or hire the person to take everything off of your plate that you you know, don't love or aren't the best at. And that really like, that is the sign that we have gotten there is being able to also then relinquish some of the things. And sometimes it's things that you do love that you have to relinquish. Um, but I think it's, if you build into the culture, it, it creates less kind of territorialism and, and more mm -hmm. of um, a willingness to kind of like let people's skills flow into the places that we need them the most, as opposed to like, this is my silo, that's your silo, Absolutely. which is something also that we did not as well in the first startup. Totally. I mean, what you're describing, uh, Desiree, is the struggle that has come up so often in these conversations, which is a struggle with ego and a struggle with, uh, again, like a, almost a sort of possessiveness, and, and which is very related to the very first thing you said, which was kind of the first answer you gave around what you felt like your biggest lesson was, which is that it can be very easy to feel like when things are going really well, it's all you. And then when things are bad, it's all you. So tell me a little bit more about that founder mentality or, uh, I, you know, I don't know if you want to call it a syndrome. I don't know if you want to call it sort of, uh, you know, a blind spot. Right. But how, why do we get stuck thinking that when things are really good, it's all us and things are really bad. It's it's all us. And what are the dangers of that? Like, how has that affected your journey as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so. A very specific example of this for Give Forward was, so we were a crowdfunding company coming of age when Facebook was coming of age and, you know, we launched before Kickstarter, but Kickstarter's 
massive rise definitely helped elevate all of crowdfunding, right? So we falsely believed that because we were investing in SEO and, you know, paid search, and we had this great channel for distribution through Facebook, that um, the growth that we were seeing was entirely of our own doing, that we were, you know, we were figuring it out. We had this secret together. And then it took, you know, the Facebook algorithm changed to knock us down a few pegs and realize that we mm. were growing on top of the growth of other giants. Um, and that we, while we had been intentional in how we spent, we didn't perfectly know how to find our customers. And our customers were very hard to find. Don't get the best friend of someone with cancer is a hard target. Yeah. Absolutely. But this time around, I have, you know, a better understanding of what kind of external factors can be contributing to growth. And at the same time, I'm much more laser focused on what are the measurable things that I can do within our, you know, kind of our unit economics to create efficiency there so that I can predictably know that when I put, you know, $50,000 into marketing, I'm going to get X number of customers out. So I think, you know, that comes with experience just in general and, and success. Um, but I, and so now our user growth feels much more earned, you know, because I had that other, Thing to reflect on, but I'm also very aware that I am now sitting, you know, in a company that is targeting mostly millennial parents, and you know, only 20% of them have started having children. So there's this massive group, this 80% that is about to have children, and I will assume that some of our growth and and rise to power will be because of what's happening within these external forces. So, um, you know, paying attention to both, I think, helps remember that like it's not everything that you're doing is not perfect. And, and, and something that works now obviously might not work again in a year, but it's when you're in the middle of crazy growth, it's hard not to pat yourself on the back and say, look how amazing we are. We've done all these things right. Mm. When the truth is a lot of it's about timing. Yes. I, that's, yeah. uh, I think that advice is worth its weight in gold because I don't think you learn it until you get burned by that situation. Uh, and, and you realize Huh. I think we we made a lot of assumptions. I guess what advice do you have for founders and CEOs to be rigorous about not assuming that it's all you? Is it something that you know? It sounds like from from your perspective, the the analytics, the um, the the level of detail that you're looking at, like you were saying, the metrics are are really key. But is it something also you embed in your team? Are there sort of systems you you place in parachute? I, I'm curious just about advice you would give to to other founders to do that well. Yeah, you know, it's so tempting, right, to find this path that works and double down. And mm. so, you know, that is an element, of course, of any level of growth. But for me, I am very, you know, very aggressive with my team about us diversifying acquisition. Um, and that, you know, paid search is great or, you know, any kind of paid ads are great until the cost of acquisition gets so high that it, you can know you have a ceiling and you can no longer spend to affordably acquire your customers depending on your LTV. So, you know, we have been constantly pieces of acquisition um, since the very beginning, knowing that of course there's a, a viral component to the business. There's also, you know, direct, which is a little bit harder to manage or, or influence, but we need to be working kind of equally on all parts because at the end of the day, full reliance on one channel, it has a very high risk of, you know, creating really expensive, customer acquisition down the road. So absolutely, I would say just constantly be diversifying. Yeah. I, I think that's, uh, again, I, I think everyone who's watching this should, will be taking notes and writing that down. Uh, Desiree, thank you so much for sharing. I, I, 
<laughs> yes, no, it's, it's been, um, I've been learning a lot just listening to you. And like I said, you're someone who I've always really, really enjoyed hearing about your experience in building and growing companies. So thank you so much. I know everyone who's watching has really appreciated your thoughts too. Thanks. Yeah, thank you for having me.